All right, everyone. I want to welcome you again. If you're just joining us to H Talks, my guest today is Nang Tao. Uh, he is the founder of an awesome brand called Nang Now, and it's a Facebook page as well. And um, I just want to uh, welcome him to H Talks. And for those of you who have seen, he's also going to be speaking at HCon, which I'm super excited about. But without any further ado, let me just welcome Nang Tao to H Talks. Nang, thanks so much for coming on the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Awesome. Well, um, if you're watching right now, uh, please, please say hello in the comments. Um, just let us know where you're watching. It's always just so fun to see where people are watching from, from all over the world. So if you are watching right now, just please share uh, where you're watching from, what state or what city or what country maybe even. So uh, say hello and tell us where you're watching from. Uh, Nang. For those of you who are not familiar with who Nang is, uh, we'll get into some more details, but some of the highlights, at least for me, uh, Nang is uh, um, just an awesome Hmong entrepreneur and content creator. Uh, he is the founder of Nang Now, just this an amazing uh, documentation of his travels uh, just across uh, the um, the world, actually, and, and we'll just dig deeper into a little bit more about what that brand is. Um, but he's in Harvard grad. He's from uh, Wisconsin, and uh, he's doing some amazing things. So again, Nang, thanks for coming on the show. Um, I, I just want to start off, uh, like I mentioned, um, you are born and raised in, in Wisconsin. Is that right, Nang? I was born in, uh, actually, I was born in Thailand. So in, Oh, in, um, yeah. my mistake. Yeah, no, that's okay. that. Okay, scratch that. Nang was born in Thailand. Yeah, I was born in Thailand. So we, we came to Wisconsin when I was just two. So I was pretty young. So I don't really remember anything from Thailand. But yeah, I grew up in, first it was Berlin, Wisconsin. And then we moved down to Madison. Berlin's like in the middle of Wisconsin. And then we moved down to Madison. I was about five or six. Got it, got it. Okay, so you you came to this the States around two years old. Um, I take it you don't, um, you don't remember too much of that transition, probably, huh? That 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 would Correct. be too young <laughs> to remember. Have you ever actually, just speaking of which, I mean, have you ever actually gone back to Thailand or Southeast Asia yet? No, I've never gone back. Actually, uh, my parents have been back about twice, but um, I have never gone back. All right, all right. Well, I'm sure you know. We'll talk more about maybe that's on your your radar or something like that. Uh, but all right, so cool. You were born in Thailand, came here to the States around two years old, um, sort of settling in, in Wisconsin. Uh, where did you, um, well, before I ask about your school, uh, tell us a little bit about your, your family name. Uh, who, who are your parents and, and what do they do? So my dad is a machinist and my mom's a cook. So she's a cook in a Thai restaurant and then a machinist. My dad basically, he like runs the machines that build a lot of the things that are metal, like whether that's car parts or screws or whatever you have it. Um, and then I'm the oldest of six. So there's four guys and two girls. Um, so we're actually pretty close in age. My youngest brother's uh, si um, 17, just turned 18. So I'm 25. So there's like wow. seven years of difference and there's wow. six of us. <laughs> so you can do the math there. Seven, so seven years from you to the youngest? Correct. Is that what you said? Okay. So you're 25, so the youngest is um, nine, no, no. Um, 18, uh, yeah. 18 or something yeah. like that, 1918. Uh, how many brothers, how many sisters? Uh, we have four brothers and two sisters. Four brothers, 
two sisters okay cool um since you're the oldest i take it uh no one's married yet or uh, i could be wrong correct yeah no one's married yet which is like weird to think about but i mean it's gonna come sooner than yeah than anyone expects right <laughs> <laughs> right awesome so the oldest of six um and uh, where did you go to high school name uh, memorial high school here in madison so on the west side here um we're the spartans Ooh, go Spartans, oh, yeah. uh, Memorial. And then, uh, after high school, you went to Harvard. Is that correct? Correct. That is amazing. This is the Harvard. Okay. Not, not like any other kind, but the Harvard and you went to Harvard and, uh, what did you study at Harvard name? Um, the official title was human developmental and regenerative biology. I think it was like the longest of all the titles at Harvard. Um, basically uh -huh. it means like stem cells, regrowing organs, regrowing limbs, um, that type of thing. That's crazy. That's super crazy. And, uh, so, so you're definitely a science guy. Um, and, uh, uh, well, let, let's, before I move on here, I just want to pause for a little bit. Um, I don't know if people just... I just want to let people understand and feel the weight of, you know, we're talking to Nang, one of perhaps clearly, I think, single digit Hmong people who've, who've gone to Harvard. I mean, I, I, we were talking about this before the show. I think I know of, of personally maybe one other person. Um, I think you said you knew of uh, another lady. And so I did that, that's like three right there, you know, probably less than five, for sure less than 10. I'm super curious if you're watching right now, if you guys know anybody who did go to Harvard as an undergrad, uh, please let me know. I'm super curious if there are any, any others. But Nang, you going to Harvard, uh, that's a big deal. Did you understand or did you um did, did it was it made a big deal of for you going to harvard because you know you, you know what i'm saying right like did your parents make it a big deal about it did the Hmong community make a big deal out of it like how big of a deal was it going to harvard for you i think that's a really funny thing because my parents you know they don't have like a four-year education or anything because they yeah. came from the camps they grew up in the camps right so i didn't know what harvard was until middle school and someone like casually mentioned it in like seventh grade math class, I remember. That was like wow. the first time I had like ever heard of this school. Um, but I remember getting in and I was telling my mom, like, cause I grew up in Madison and UW Madison is like a phenomenal school. So it's like, so it's such great history, really just like awesome school. So my mom definitely wanted me to come here cause I was like close to home. It was like a good school. So when I was like, hey mom, I think I'm gonna go to this weird school that you've never heard about on the east coast like she was like no don't go there you have to stay in madison right <laughs> um so it's actually like i would have gone there no matter what but she didn't like agree to it until her oldest brother um who's a counselor in school in us in a high school in fresno was like hey you have to like let Ning go here like it's a uh -huh. good school so um you, did think, you get accepted already at this point Yes, yes. So I had like, I got accepted and like basically accepted it that week, like officially sent them back the yes that week. Uh huh. So I was going to go no matter what, but it was just like a funny story to see that progression with like my parents. And my dad has an associate's degree. So he like knows a little bit more about the school system and like how you can choose all these schools. Um, so it was definitely, it was different with him. I'd been like talking to him throughout the whole like application process. But with my mom, it was more like I had to tell her, like, hey, it's a good school. I'm going to go here. Like, it's okay. <laughs> that, that, that is, is so, so 
interesting because, um, I mean, like you wouldn't think of parents having much hesitation for their students, for their, you know, uh, their son or daughter going to Harvard. Um, but uh, that that's really interesting. I, I, I want to actually rewind a little bit because I'm super curious, Nang, about the application process for you and then you um, choosing to go to Harvard, you applying to go to Harvard, because I'm sure that there are a bunch of people who want to know, like, how you actually got in. Like, that, that is no easy deal um so if you don't mind just spending a few minutes uh, of us talking about like your application I i'm super curious i mean i'm just gonna throw some things out there and correct me if i'm wrong i mean were you were you valedictorian did you have like ap courses or ib courses or like tell us about the applicant name tau to harvard like what 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 would they have seen in your application yeah i think like so i actually like think of applications to anywhere whether that be a job or a college as like two separate entities you have like all your solid numbers right like your gpa your test scores all that stuff and then you have like the more abstract stuff like who are you as a person and um going to any school you kind of have to like balance and obviously you want to do 100 on both of those um i think with harvard everyone who has a great chance of getting in um already is great with their grades so all their solid numbers are like fantastic um i wasn't i wasn't valedictorian because my school didn't do that um hmm. so we didn't have like we had rankings but it was based just on your gpa and then there were like a lot of people who just who took a lot of like really hard classes so they had like lower gpas um hmm. i graduated with a 3.86 i believe if i remember correctly That's un unweighted or did you did you have a weighted gpa was it uh we didn't have a weighted gpa either so i don't even know what that means <laughs> Oh, oh, sorry. Okay, that's like that's like having uh. Well, did you have AP classes or IB yeah. courses or? So yeah, all of our classes were just four point oh. Uh, so I know like AP classes, they're like right. five, right, or something. Right. Like that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's where the weighted comes in. So people yeah. are like, oh, I have a 4.0 weighted GPA because they have these additional points that okay can add to it. Yeah, yeah. that's a thought. Um, yeah. So I just said I don't know what it would be weighted. Um, I took nine AP classes. Wow. So I don't know what that would be, um, but I had like a three eight six with AP classes. Wow! So is that like one or two Bs or no Bs at all? Or no, I had plenty of. I had like a a handful of Bs, um, uh -huh. especially in those AP classes. I had a handful of Bs, um, especially senior year. I think I had a few more because after I got into yeah. school and to Harvard, I kind of cared less, as yeah. everyone does. Um, yeah. Which don't do that if you're in high school. <laughs> 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 inevitably right everyone is human that happens to all of us um yeah but yeah no I, I mean, you don't have to have like straight a's obviously that's great you should aim for straight a's but it's not mm -hmm. like a like end all be all especially like they look at your classes too which is part of like that abstract factor that i'm um we'll get that we're getting at yeah. So cool. Just just for the sake of, you know, people watching and, and a data point for them. I mean, I'm I'm really thankful that you were able to, um, you know, share your GPA. Some some people are, are not so comfortable with it, but thanks for sharing that. Yeah, like a three point eight uh, GPA. Uh, what was would you mind sharing? Did you take the SAT or the ACT? Yeah, so I took both of them. Um, I took both of them. Um, the SAT. That's out of 24 when I took it. I know, I think right now it's like out of 16. So they just, right, used it. Right. I got a 21 something, maybe a 22 okay. something. I don't remember because it's like the thousands. Um, right. I know I got a 32. One of those times I took the ACT. So I didn't like have like a 
36. I never got a 36. Um, but yeah, all the numbers, I would like tell you all the numbers because I think that's good. So I will tell you all the numbers. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's really helpful because I think, I mean, no doubt those are really good numbers, right? Like those are really top you know, percentiles and, and really competitive. But I think what's encouraging is that, and I'll, I want to get to this other part, the abstract part that you're talking about, which is your numbers are, I mean, they're not, they're not obviously really low, but they're not like super duper, like, you know, perfect or, or whatever. Right. I mean, they, I think they're pretty achievable for, for most people. Absolutely. So, you know, given those kind of um, just kind of hardworking numbers, tell us a little bit about the, the abstract or the personal statement or, or, or the, 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 um, the person of name that you think you communicated to the application um, committee that uh, you think sets you apart? Like, what do you think sets you apart besides, you know, your numbers? Yeah, so when you apply, you have, you know, your grades, you have your personal statement. And then for schools like Harvard, you have an interview as well. So okay. I think of it as three parts. So yeah, grades, um, your essay, and then your interview. Um, yeah, my grades were like totally cool. You know, they were like good. They weren't like, I didn't have like 4.0, 36, 2400, but they were like good enough. Like they passed that threshold. Um, and these like imaginary, sometimes they're like very strict thresholds depending on what type of school you're applying to. But once you meet that threshold, then it's like the other two, right? Um, so the personal statement, um, actually I'd like put up my supplemental essay on my like page. So you can actually go and read that if you wanted to, but Oh, I, that's cool. But there was like the main one and then the supplemental one. And what I did was actually for my supplemental essay, which is like the like side essay, that's like the side dish, you know, of the main. And then there's like the main course, the main course. I wrote it about like me, like who is Nang. It's like a broad story of me, and my family. And then for the supplemental essay, I wrote it about something that was very, very, very specific, which was one word or one phrase rather, which is I love you in Spanish. Um, but I wrote that, so it was a very specific, and then you also have like your really broad one, like this is Nang. Um, so I took two strategies. I don't know if that was just my approach. Um, there's a ton of stories out there. Um, I think at Harvard, what, at Harvard, if I don't know how it is at other universities, but once you get in, you can actually, uh, go to the admissions office and see your admission essay and see like why they let you in. And wow, you, that's, of, that's pretty cool. Yeah, the rule of thumb is you either have to be like super lopsided and just like fascinating, like they uh -huh. rank you in like one through four or something like that. And a uh -huh. four point is like, they should let you in just because of that one thing. So you have people who like, um, like I knew a kid who had like discovered like whatever math theories while he was in high school and he was just yeah. like, an incredible mathematical genius so he was got in like just because of that everything else was like you know it was like he was normal at everything else but then there are also people who are just kind of good at everything that they do um and they're just like really really well-rounded people so i like to think i'm more of the latter because i don't have any like fantastic i didn't like invent a mathematical theory i would argue that most kids who get into harvard fall into the latter category um but now I'm going off on a tangent, so I forgot where I said. Oh, um, yeah, so essays. So very broad. And then the second one was focused on just I love you in Spanish. Um, and then your interview is really well, too, or very important as well. So um, I remember my interview was with um, a guy who we met at, like, we met at Barnes & Noble's, a coffee shop in Barnes & Noble. 
And it was really just like, it was really cool as like a natural flow and like talking to him about his life experiences too and what he did at Harvard. And I think it was like one of the, that's like something that's really hard for a lot of, a lot of young people, especially because you forget or you never really learn. I mean, I never really fully absorb this. Even nowadays I'm learning this, but that like adults are like real people and they like aren't, they don't have everything figured it out. Um, I think when I was like that age, I thought all that people had, adults had everything figured out. So it was like really scary and like really hard to be a real person with them. And for mm -hmm. some reason I like had a really nice conversation with this guy and it was like a real conversation, which I, I think helped my application out a lot as well. You, so you had an interview with uh, it was a, a Harvard uh, alumni, is that yeah. is that what it is, or someone who was part of like the committee? Um, Harvard alumni. So what they say is like everyone, the interview. If you don't have an interview, it won't hurt you, but is recommended because it can significantly help you. Um, so I think most everyone has an interview because the alumni network is just so big. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Okay. Very cool. So. Um, I, I, a lot of people are, 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 are just, uh, really, uh, thankful for you sharing this. I, I think uh, there was a lady here who was just saying, um, something about her, her, her son, you know, she was saying, oh, yay, my, my son still has a chance. I think after hearing, uh, about some of your, your, your numbers. So, so this is, this is just great. And, and I, I would totally love to, to bring you back on the show. And if we, to just talk more about, you know, um, your journey to Harvard and the application and, and things like that. Um, but I, I do want to move on a little bit more because I do want to get to some of the exciting things you're doing now. Um, but this is by no means to, to, um, undercut the awesome experience you've had uh, going to Harvard. L let, let me just, let me just, spend a, a minute or two and to um have you share uh, about your time at harvard it's one thing to get into harvard but to be at harvard i'm sure is a totally different experience and and having graduated about uh, was it a year now nang or how long have you been out of harvard almost been three years which is crazy. almost three years i'm it sorry seems like just a year to me too yeah <laughs> <laughs> so about three years almost three years out of harvard um and you were there four years is that right yes so going into harvard you're a freshman from Wisconsin. You're this Hmong kid. Uh, you're, you're living in the dorms. Uh, tell us who was your roommate and, and what was that like just adjusting uh, to living in, in, in Harvard? Yeah, Harvard actually has like this amazing housing system. So almost everybody lives on campus, which is fantastic. Um, I think almost everyone lives on campus all four years. They have this like housing tradition that's been happening all the time. Um, I was paired with in a room of five my first year and I actually stayed really good friends with all those guys. Um, actually roomed with two of them for like all four years of college. So we weren't in like the same room cause the housing changed, but um, yeah. we were like really good friends. Um, yeah, Harvard experience. I mean, when I was there, there was, um, I met, there was one other, Mon kid, um, her name was New, so it was like just two of us. And oh, that's so cool. Yeah, she came there when I was a junior, but when I was there for the first two years, there were like no monk kids. And then after yeah. I left, she was the only one. And then after she left, I think there's like unless there's a new one, which there could be. She left last wow. year, I believe. Um, yeah, so she would have graduated last year, but unless there's a freshman this year, there's like no monk undergrads anymore. <laughs> so wow, 
Well, that's super. I mean, I, I'm just really astonished that there were any at all. Um, so that that's pretty cool that that uh, you you were able to spend some time there with um the, this other lady. Uh, and just just tell us about the. I mean, if you could from the inside, uh, being having been a Harvard student, like, is it as rigorous and as tough and as like cutthroat as I think people may think it is? Like being a student at Harvard, like what what's it like? I don't know if you have a reference point or not, but you know, like what what's a, what is it like to be a student at Harvard, academically oh, yeah. speaking? No, definitely. It's like definitely very, very cutthroat. Um, I think there's a joke that like you should just you already had a Harvard, like just stop trying. Like you already did really well, right? Which you know, very few people actually do that. Like everyone obviously they're already very motivated people, so they're not gonna just stop being motivated. Mm-hmm. So it is like a really like stressful environment, to be honest. Um, I wouldn't say it is for everybody. Um, definitely not for everybody. It is super stressful. Um, but there are things that are amazing about Harvard that I really love. Um, one thing that I know happens at um, like universities, like my siblings are at UW-Madison. Um, you have to like apply to a school to get into a major, um, I think. Correct. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know anything about this, but <laughs> at, um, at Harvard, you just you don't have to do that. You just pick a major and they just let you in, which is great because it would be really stressful to have to compete with everyone who is at Harvard. Um, something else is all classes are like half a credit and you only need like 32 credits. So you only need 30, 16 credits to graduate, which makes like thinking about it a lot easier. I think it's like mm. 120 or something normally. Right. Um, but and then you also don't pick classes the semester before. So we actually pick classes the first week of semester and you can like, we call it shopping week. So you can go to any class you want and then you pick the classes that you like. So during that week, kids will just go to any classes that they want and then they will pick the classes. And then those are your, you know, it's normally four classes. You will get four classes that semester, which you pick the first week, which is awesome because then you get to like taste every single class that you want to. That is really, really cool. Um, man, I have so many more questions I'd love to ask, but I, I've gotta I've gotta like yeah, yeah, myself. Yeah. Uh, for, for those of you watching right now, um, I will dedicate uh, some time at the end of the show for you to ask Nang your questions as well for him to answer as well. So um, if you're watching right now, if you do have questions about him going to Harvard or his time at Harvard application, just ask your questions in the comments below and and we'll try to get to them. Uh, at the end here. So uh, if you do have any questions uh, about Nang, um, please just leave them in the comments and, and we'll try to uh, get to them towards the end of the show. So uh, born in Thailand, raised in Wisconsin, went to Harvard. What happened after Harvard, Nang? Uh, what happened after Harvard? That's a good question. Oh, I moved to Seattle. Um, I moved to Seattle after Harvard and um, I was working as like a youth manager and like I was developing programs. So I was working with youth as well as um, other stuff in Seattle at a place called the Center for Wooden Boats. So I was doing everything from like 3D mapping boats, um, more science things to more hands-on. Like I was teaching sailing as well. And then I was living on a boat. So I really had, besides the like computer mapping boats, I had not really anything to do with anything that I did in college. Um, which is great. It was like fun. Uh, oh, in Seattle, that's that's kind of a lie. Because in Seattle, I was also doing like beach surveys and like working for the Seattle Aquarium. So that uh-huh. used a lot of my biology knowledge, but it wasn't like 
my main job in Seattle. Um, and then I was also between that job starting, I was back in Wisconsin teaching some physics and computer science at the university here, some summer classes here. So, uh -huh. um, and then, yeah, I moved to Seattle around September or something of that year. So I had like a few months in Wisconsin, then moved to Seattle, lived there for a year. And then I moved to Monterey afterwards, lived there for a year and a half. And then now I'm doing what I'm doing here. <laughs> That that is crazy. Um, I, I forgot to ask this. I I, I wanted to um kind of position your post grad years with this question, which is, as an undergrad student in Harvard, um, I, I can't remember your major again. It was so long. What was it called again? Re, when I tell people, regenerative regenerative biology is so shorter. Yeah, regenerative biology. So okay, so it's 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 bio, but but a little more focused on like cells or, or yes, exactly something like that. Okay, cool. So um, essentially regenerative bio major. So in the sciences for sure, as a Harvard student and, and leaving Harvard, what, what, what were you, um, what were you shooting for as a career, as a profession, or did you even know, you know, was there a general direction for you as you're leaving college? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I did all the pre-med requirements. Um, I right. also, was doing a lot of grad school stuff. So I, I worked in, at one point I was working in three labs in college. Um, wow. One of them I worked for three years. Um, three years I worked in a lab. And then another one I did research in for two years, um, published a paper. So I did all the like very sciencey stuff too. Um, but yeah, I thought about grad school, thought about med school, did a lot of like soul searching. Mm -hmm. I did like, medical internships abroad as well as in the US. And then I did talks a lot to like mentors and like, what are they like your, like blank on the word, like guidance counselors, but they're like your majors, like your counselors and stuff. Talk to a lot of them, like career managers and decided I would like take time off, even if I wanted to go to grad school later. Um, yeah. I think the average age for going to med school now is 26 and it's mm. like only rising, which I was like, I think everyone was like, Oh my gosh, traditionally you had to like go right in. So yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm gonna be like so behind, which right. at some point I was just like, okay, I need to just, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so grads. Wow. So grad school sounds like grad school was sort of heavy on your mind uh, as you were leaving. And that seemed like uh, what you were, thinking about doing did, did you actually end up applying to any schools or was it just a, a, a serious thought no it was like serious thought um i even took i took the gre i didn't take the mcat i have not taken the mcat i took the gre um i did relatively well um but yeah i just like never really applied i think it was a mixture of not being sure as well as just wrapping up my senior year and like those final classes but no, I never really applied to a grad school and got really serious. Didn't get yeah. like any serious recommendation letters or anything. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That. It, it, okay. Well, I, I we'll talk a little bit more about this. Maybe it'll my circle around. But you were you you left. You did a little bit of work in Seattle and, and Wisconsin, and then to California and Monterey. Um. Uh. For, for those who who don't know, you were you're working at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, right? Yeah. That that's super cool. And uh, just tell us a little bit about what you were doing over there. So I was um, doing, it was like public talking and managing programs. I was also developing education programs 
bilingually um, in Spanish and in English. So it was like the first position they created that was supposed to pilot these programs. So it was the first one to do this bilingual Spanish English program, which was like really funny because when I was leaving Seattle, my boss in Seattle was like, wow, this is so funny. We live in a world where like someone who's like Hmong is running a Spanish English program. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that but yeah, I was developing so these, these like public education programs, you could call them at the Monterey Bay Aquarium on marine biology um, in Spanish and English it was like my, what they hired me to do. Uh-huh. Now, um, this is going to, this will lead us into your journey into Ning now. And for those of you who know about it, you know, you, you kind of know where we're headed. Um, but uh, I do want to make some preparation as we kind of jump to his thing here. Uh, so clearly you are fluent in um, at least English and, and Hmong and Spanish. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> Did I miss any languages? No, those are like the three that I will, I will say I can talk to people in. <laughs> Well, now, um, would you feel um, uh, uh, willing to rank them for us, or are they all pretty equally fluent? I would say depending know? on the context, I would say mostly I function in English, especially as a science, the person who talks about science all the time. Um, English, and then Hmong, and then Spanish. Um, so, yeah, I function very well in Hmong. I speak to my parents only in Hmong. Um, Spanish really only when I'm abroad or when I have to do it for work. Um, but like I will get by and I speak Spanish like very well. Enough to uh, I'm, I'm really curious. Yeah. I'm really curious for those. Uh, I don't actually, I mean, I, I speak very little Hmong. I understand it better. I'm, I'm really terrible at it. I, I took a couple of years of Chinese and I'm terrible at it, you know? So, so I, I hardly feel like I I'm, I'm fluent in another language, but for someone like yourself, I'm, I always ask these people, I always ask this question to people who can speak several languages, which is, um, do you, do you dream? Have you ever dreamt in those other languages? You know, do you ever think in those other languages yeah, or is all, is it all English? Um, I, th I think that most people don't think in a language unless you're talking to yourself, you know, you yeah. think in like concepts. So no one like really thinks in a language. I do dream in languages where people will start speaking the language that they're not supposed to like, Maybe uh -huh. like my mom will speak, start speaking Spanish and I'll be like all freaked out in my dream. But yeah, I do dream in, um, I do dream in all three languages. That's cool. That's really cool. It doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen regularly, but it does happen. <laughs> um, just share with us quickly your, um, your background in Spanish. Did it begin in, in high school, middle school or in college? When did you start learning Spanish? First, like getting like actual serious about it was seventh grade. So our school system, um, Madison school system starts at seven through 12. Um, when I was in first grade, they tried this like program where they had a teacher come in and talk Spanish with the classroom for like 15 minutes a day, but that doesn't really count. Um, yeah. I obviously didn't learn anything. <laughs> so that seventh and eighth grade was in when I like really started learning and then in high school, I don't think they required it, but um, yeah, I took it in high school. And then when I like really, really learned it was finally deciding to like go abroad when I was, it was be after my third year of high school. So I went to Panama and I lived there for three months, two months. And then I came back, was continuing Spanish class. So it was like six years in 
middle school and high school, and then two months abroad in college as well. I took one class in college, which was Spanish writing, um, reading, writing, and I spent two summers abroad in college. So in Latin America as well. So I think in total, if you, I've been in Latin America probably close to two years now. Wow, that that's really cool. Um, that that's kind of a good setup for you know Nang now and kind of what you're doing. Um, well, l- let's let's give our audience members here who who are just not familiar with it. Um, it, would you be able to describe in like one sentence what Nang now is like? What what is this project that you're doing? It's um my personal brand, and I just travel around the world and make videos short videos about anything that i find interesting on that day (laughs) that's really cool and you you have traveled uh, i think you told me is it eight countries now yes yes and uh what countries have those been so costa rica panama colombia peru bolivia chile and i've nicaragua in the U.S., I'm gonna count the U.S. because <laughs> there you go. I'm probably yeah. missing one. <laughs> yeah. um, so really, the Latin Latin America, right? I mean, that that's that's pr- kind of the bulk of it, right? And yeah. I assume that was uh, intentional, given your your background in in Spanish, and I is, was that sort of intentional making those trips to those countries. Yeah, it was like I knew these countries or some of them already. Um, for example, like Costa Rica and Panama, I had known those countries already. Um. I knew people there. I knew things that like I wanted to do and film there because seeing as I was going to make videos, I was like, oh, man, I don't want to go to a country that I know absolutely nothing about. So the first country I went to is Costa Rica, which I love Costa Rica. And I knew I had a few friends there. So it was like a good place to start. Um, and then I also went to other countries that I'd never been to. Um, so a little bit of both. That's really um, that. that's really cool. And uh, I think. Uh, give us some perspective here. You correct me if I'm wrong. You started traveling officially for Nang now. Was it at the end of 2017 or yeah, the beginning? Was, of uh, actually, yeah, right at the end of December. So I've been on the road for five months, almost five, almost five months, four and a half now. Wow. Okay. So four and a half months, five months traveling to about eight or so different countries. Uh, what was your uh your schedule of video production like was it uh was it a daily thing i can't yeah, that was like a daily thing and i'm basically doing a daily thing um at first i didn't make it a daily thing but it turns out like i was basically doing them on a daily basis anyway and it was like i would miss one like every other week or something so i'm like on 125 videos and four months is like 120 days so there's been yeah. like five or so days that i haven't made a video um but now it's like a daily commitment so after this uh after this facebook live i will go home and make a video but um oh, exciting <laughs> <laughs> yay can't wait to see that video um i, w- I want to talk a-, a little bit about your experience sort of sort of at a personal at a relational level um at these past uh you know five or four and a half months uh and then we'll kind of jump into some practical things here but i'm really curious how traveling the world meeting different people um being on your own independent uh in this particular way i'm curious how how it's impacted you or influenced you as, as a person so far Nang, whether it's um people you've met whether it's a change of perspective whether it's stories you've heard whether it's just um i mean anything 
you know, personally revealing to you, like, how has it impacted you these past, you know, five months traveling? Yeah, yeah, I think because I talk to a lot of people um, every day and like meeting new people and like trying to like connect on common ground with that random stranger or whatever. Um, I think I'm just convinced after all of this that like no one really like we're all figuring it out on a day-to-day basis, right? We're all like figuring it out. We're like trying to find out like what makes us more satisfied in life and no one has 100% everything figured it out. Um, No one is like living the dream. Everyone is just like working and everyone's like working, trying to figure out who they are, being happy. Like everyone is growing together no matter who you are. I think like struggling and part of why I'm traveling is like, I'm always like struggling when I'm traveling, right? It's not like super glorious all the time, but through that like struggling and like being super uncomfortable half the time because I'm not a native Spanish speaker. I function in it, but I'm not like a native Spanish speaker. So there's things like I just like will never understand in Spanish, but having to like work through that is just like very satisfying in a way at the end as well. And kind of being seeking to be uncomfortable so that I can almost be comfortable being uncomfortable which sounds really weird but i think like that's how we grow as human beings is just seeking to make that uncomfortable spot that we're in more comfortable so by traveling i think i'm always talking to people trying to like if you talk to a lot of travelers you will find that a lot of them say like i don't really love to travel and talk to people because you end up asking the same questions and over and over again is like what's your name like where are you from like what do you work like what do you do which like makes sense um so as a traveler who's constantly meeting new people i'm trying to like get out of that traveler loop and like after asking people like what's your name like what do you do you know the basics like trying to find a way to go that extra step sometimes i will say that to people i will meet like amazing people and then i would like make a video with them or like make a video about their business or their brand, which has happened a lot on my page, which is like incredible because had I just like stuck with those four questions, you know, like, what's your name? Like, what do you do? Where are you from? I would like never made those videos, never met these people. So I think really just everyone has their own story. And if you find out about their story, you get to learn about like how they were uncomfortable, how they figured it out as like a human being, which is just like, really humbling and it's like yeah very cool that i i love i love what you're sharing and uh i i do want to uh i'm curious for you nay um you know obviously not being a native speaker but but having a competency with the language and having studied you know for um since about middle school were there some cultural encounters that really um shocked you or that was really uh bizarre or any any of these kind of cultural bizarre moments for you i think personally for me and probably most of the people watching this facebook live um coming from two cultures we're used to like switching back and forth between cultures so i'm willing to bet that for most people watching this facebook live it wouldn't be that much of a shocker seeing like a different culture because we're so used to going from the Hmong culture to the American culture to any other immigrant cultures that we might have friends in because immigrants tend to come together in general um at least like new immigrants to a country um 
But I know that when I was working abroad, we would do like with people who had just like grown up in like mainstream American culture, we would do like cultural shock training, which is like totally like normal for people to experience. So if you do, that's like totally okay too. Um, I think, yeah, there's like small things that I can think of. They're not like shocking that I wasn't like, whoa but there were like small things i was like whoa that's like very different and i have no idea why it's just like so interesting so yeah a few that off the top of my head is um in latin america everyone sends like voicemails and no one no one voice recordings i should say uh-huh. um no one really does that in the us we're all texting uh-huh. um right and it's like i think it's faster to send a voicemail but it's like significantly longer to listen to it as opposed to just reading something sometimes yeah, someone okay. will like send you a one minute voice message and it uh-huh. just sucks listening to that. Um, Wi-Fi is more available here and free in the US. Um, something that I was like, well, that's like really weird in Latin America. A lot of places you have to like pay to use a public bathroom, which is like kind mm-hmm. of shocking to me still. But yeah, there's like small things. But at the end of the day, like people are like super nice and everyone was like willing to bring me into their house and give me their food and they were like very like mung in that sense and everyone will just like give you food they will be like yeah. extra friendly to you but um maybe that's just because i'm a foreigner who knows yeah. <laughs> uh i i'm curious on the on the flip side here um i mean i could be wrong i mean you you as i look at you i mean you uh, well okay let me ask it this way were were the uh the uh native people of these different countries you visited were they were they particularly kind of like shocked that whoa here's this guy he speaks you know spanish pretty well and like did they recognize you're asian or just a a tourist or foreigner like what what was their reception of you was it pretty it definitely like depends on what country you go to because you will go to countries like panama panama has the panama canal which connects the atlantic and pacific ocean so they had like they have like amazing history so there's like a ton of slaves that came to build the canal and then there were like a ton of like chinese that come to build the canal like decades ago so panama is like very used to seeing like diverse people so you go to panama and people will like just kind of you'll just be another panamanian like i could pass for being like panamanian in the street until i like start talking then they obviously know i'm a foreigner um you will also go to countries like bolivia where there aren't that many foreigners to begin with um especially because Bolivia, there's a lot, it's like, um, there's just like less tourism in Bolivia. So, but I've never faced anything that I was like completely like shocked about where people were like, just un like unaccepting something that has, and I am like really wary about that. I'm like convinced that the world's like a lot safer than people say, cause you like mm-hmm. always hear horror stories and right. like, especially being Hmong, and having that recent history of like the wars and like in the refugee camps like we were like persecuted for like being racially Hmong and like people didn't like that um especially during wartime and it happens you know any wartime during any era but i will hear a lot from my parents or grandparents and they have that perspective of you know the x and y people don't like us or x and y people don't accept us as much or they're like different than us and it's just like because they have lived through that history and they lived through those 
camp times and they live through the war time so it like totally makes sense why they have that mentality and to an extent it's definitely still true so going into traveling i did have that mentality as well and i found that like by and large um it's not true unless you are like firsthand part of the conflict uh, you will go to different countries where there's like conflicts between that country and a neighboring country and of course that like that like tension whether it be cultural tensions or racial tensions or socioeconomic tensions still exists but as a foreigner i have not found like any negative uh receiving any like negative energy from anyone that's really cool that's really reassuring because yeah i think you're right that we we have uh you know i mean if uh, the media or whatever kind of consumption you have of, of the outside world you know out, out of the united states i mean it's easy i think it's tempting to think the world is a very scary dangerous kind of place right and um that i think that's really reassuring to kind of hear that you know it's, it's not that it's not that crazy you know yeah, uh, really. I mean, I don't doubt that there are crazy parts but uh right it's it i think it's overly uh exaggerated yeah i think it is overly exaggerated um i will yeah i think i will say like for every one bad person you know there's a hundred good ones and yeah but yeah i do recognize like i am very privileged too as like a so like a solo traveler being like a male that is like a big advantage sure and i right. like do recognize that and i wish i could like speak more to like the other half of my like friends who want to travel who don't fall into like the same demographics as me especially like as a spanish speaking person in latin america so i'm really really excited when i go to other countries where i don't speak the language at all it will be like very interesting because i was in chile the other day and i was ordering a coffee and i didn't spanish of course but i was thinking like oh man when i go to like laos or whatever and like how am I supposed to ask for a coffee? Like Starbucks, you can't even like point at a menu because it's like way up there. So like, how am I supposed to point like that one way up there that's like 10 feet away? You can't even see where I'm pointing. And I was like, wow, what if like everything was that way? It would be like definitely a lot harder. Yeah, that's that's really funny. Um, I, I, I'd like to, um, I'd like to ask Ning about any are, are there any on your journey to these countries so far um are there any people or are there stories that you've heard or people you've met that that really just sticks with you you know is there a particular person a particular story or a moment that you know you you've uh, um you know experienced that that just really sticks with you and 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 you like to kind of share with us yeah i think the most recent one that comes right off the top of my head is when I was in Chile um, and I was learning about the like recent history with like, so Chile has like one of the most recent dictatorships in history. And um, basically a ton of people were like, uh, like tortured. I'm gonna like say some, someone's gonna get mad at me for saying this, who knows a lot more history than I do, but people were like locked up. They were like tortured. A lot of people went missing and i was like wow that's like horrible like this is like terrible right and that's like really all you like hear about which is just like that one side of the story which is like great that we hear about that because that shouldn't be happening right um but the more you talk to the locals i also found that a lot of people were like his, the dictator's name is pinochet everyone like 
lot of people were like calling him Tata Pinochet, which in Spanish basically means like Grandpa Pinochet. So people like love this dictator. And I was like, why do people love this dictator who like thousands of people disappeared during his dictatorship? And then I learned a little bit more about the history. And you basically had like two sides to the history where it's like communists and then like this dictatorship. And like the communism like ruined the economy and then like the dictator came in and like fixed the economy but there were also like u.s like involvement and like a bunch of stuff going on that we could talk you know another hour about but i was like really made me aware of like no matter like how bad something is like thousands of people going missing is objectively bad mm-hmm. there's also like always going to be someone who can tell you the other side in this case, it was really interesting. There are also cases where it just like the other side might be like totally crazy. But I did talk to like one guy who had lived through this era and he was like, you know, like 80s or 70s at least. And he had like was telling me like his side of the story, the other side and just like tell me the broad like history of it too. It was like very shocking to see both sides because I think like in the mainstream media, I only had read about that one side of like oh people going missing people are dying that's bad which you know it's bad but yeah i think like that one story was like wow there's like always more to learn like there's more behind the curtain like this is crazy and like always just it also made me want to meet locals more because uh as like an american a lot of times we will see only the american side of things especially in this issue which America was also very involved in. So it made me like very aware as well, going into these countries as an American, like how they view Americans or how they like view, yeah, just like American versus like new Americans and like immigrant Americans. But I think this one guy was like the most recent one that comes off the top of my head because I get to see like both the bad and the good of something that was objectively bad yeah that's really interesting yeah that, that that's uh that's kind of a rare thing that right kind of we we wouldn't have uh kind of access to but that's pretty cool um <clears throat> I, I do want to to transition a little bit uh kind of keeping in name now and, and and on some things you're doing i i do want to kind of transition a little bit to some more um practical things some some more practical questions uh, especially for our viewers out there about sort of what happens behind the scenes uh kind of or behind the camera or after you know recording uh, uh ends and all that good stuff uh i just want to say to our viewers right now uh, i will be taking questions from you so if you do have questions for um nang about uh, uh his uh journey name now and the brand he's building and the places he's been traveling or anything we talked about so far uh please ask your questions in the comments and we're going to get to them at the end of the show uh and so what i want to talk about now Nang, is um i'm really curious about like if you can take us inside Nang now or behind or whatever like how do you do all of this i mean let's let's start with the videos first like um Tell us what are the equipment you use? What do you carry with you? And and like what's the process for for all of you for for all of these these videos that you produce, especially overseas? Yeah, I travel with two bags. One has uh, my clothes in there, so not really important for this. Um, the other bag is my camera bag. I have um one DSLR. It's a Canon T5i, which is like pretty introductory. It's like 
several years old now so like nothing fancy i don't have like a if you know cameras i don't have like a full frame like thousands of dollar camera um i think there's like a point of diminishing returns if you buy like a five to hundred to one thousand dollar camera most people won't be able to tell the difference between that quality and a camera that costs five thousand mm-hmm. dollars so i travel with the t5i it's nothing fancy um i also have a drone a dji mavic pro um i have a gopro which honestly i've used probably like twice ever and if i had to get rid of a camera i would get rid of the gopro i barely ever use it um and then my cell phone i also use my cell phone a lot and i have a iphone 6. um so again it's like several models old i think i bought it in 2015. um and i have a macbook i edit with premiere basically i will I'm like kind of been doing pretty bad on this, but usually I will have like ideas for the next two or three days. Right mm-hmm. now, it's like really just I think of I wake up and I make a video. Sometimes it's really bad. Like right this week, I've been like waking up, I think of something the same day, and then I decide to make that video. Uh-huh. But you ideally, I will have ideas for the next two to three days. I will wake up, I will film what I need, or actually I will write like the ideas I need, like the script, the script for the video which is not like a script that I 100% wholeheartedly ad- adhere by, but I'll write the script. Maybe that will take like an hour. I will film depending on the project. It will take between like two to six hours and then I will edit. And depending on the video, it will take between like two to four hours. So in total, it will be like a 10 to 12 hour day just to make a one to two minute wow. video. <laughs> wow, wow. And and wow, that is that is something. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I dabbled the, I mean, you know, when I first started my show, um, I ha- before I did shows on Facebook live, I would uh, do them on Skype and we would record them and then export them out into separate files. And then, yeah, I would use premiere pro to put them together. And I hated it. Um, this is one of the reasons why I, I, I kind of do live shows now instead of, um, pre-recorded shows with editing because with Facebook live, I don't have to do any post editing, <laughs> you know, and, and expectations are lower cause it's a live video hopefully, but, uh, editing. Oh man, I, I, I know what that's like. And I have so much respect for people who, who do it cause it, it, it turns out well. Um, did you have a lot of, um, editing or, uh, v- you know, video background in college or is it, was it just a hobby or tell us about your background Not at all? Like I didn't have any video editing experience at all. Um, I think the only video editing experience I had in college was there's this competition to make like a 100 second video or something like that about like a summer experience. And that was really the only experience I had. But when I did that, um, that was like their first real editing experience I had where, you know, like recorded different parts and put them together. When I was like a teenager, it was like, I use like Vin- Windows, like Movie Maker, and Stitch, like right. clips together. But that didn't really count as like editing. But yeah. my first like editing experience was like that one experience in college. But besides that, I really didn't have like any video experience at all. That's kind of encouraging, you know. I think that's encouraging, especially for those watching right now who. Yeah you know they're they're like man i love these videos and i gotta say you shoot some pretty awesome videos man i mean the shots the qualities i mean what you do is great i mean it's it looks super awesome i talked to a lot of people who kind of make videos and they tell me yeah dude nanga you know he makes some awesome videos and um do you think that 
you know, both on the video shooting side, you know, actually capturing the raw footage and then the post editing side, you think it's something that most people can can pick up and learn if they if they really wanted to. Absolutely. I think. Uh, yeah, I think absolutely. It's super easy. It's not like. I would. Yeah, I'm self-taught. I didn't take any classes. Um, basically, my recommendation when people ask me, like, how do I get into this is just I would pick one project and then I would figure out how to do that one project. And from that one project, that one idea, you will learn so many things. So my project happened to be making that like one two minute video about like my summer experience. And from that, I learned how to like edit, like I learned like what sounds good and what doesn't sound good and like how to like do whatever with my music. So just pick one project and just focus your energy on completing that one project. Um, I didn't ask this before and I am, I'm curious about this though. Uh, kind of going back to the beginning of Ning now, uh, like what drove you to do this in the first place? I, 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 I should have asked this question earlier, but why, why are you doing this, Ning? <laughs> yeah, yeah, great question. Yeah, I think, I think it's like this is like funny. It's like kind of what I'm doing my today's video on. But uh-huh. I was in Monterey, and I didn't really. I liked my job, but it was like what I liked more during my job was like doing stuff that was like mine. So one of the reasons I like took this job was like it was like a new position that no one had like ever done before, and it was like this like new role and I was going to be like given a lot of responsibilities that I would get to like make mine at this place, which is like awesome. And I got to do a lot of that. But what I didn't love about working at, you know, at any organization, this is like true is just like a lot of people like check your work, which is awesome. And that's like how it should go. But I really like thought it was kind of going slow and I wanted to just like make something have it be all mine and then like put it out there for people to see and create something so i wrote a book during that year which was like hey i and i was like obsessed with this project this like creative visual project and i think like as a kid i was like always obsessed with visual arts whether that be drawing or like painting or whatnot so I think I was like getting more and more frustrated with my job and like the routine. And I decided that I needed like an excuse to just like get out of Monterey as well. If you've ever been to Monterey, it's a great, like small town, but it's was too small for me. I was like, I think like it's a great place to like raise kids, but like in your twenties, <laughs> I thought it was like a really bad place to spend my twenties personally. Wow. So I needed like almost like an excuse to leave Monterey as well. So there's like a few things going together and it was like the stars aligned and I was like, okay, I'm going to like, just take that leap. But I think if you were to like sum it up in one word, it would probably be like frustration or just like anger and like not being able to like do what I wanted to, which is like creative, like visual arts and being just like creative. Now, uh, talk to me about how do you reconcile that frustration with wanting to do those kinds of things with your your scientific background? Is there a tension? Is there a consistency? Does one encourage the other? Um, how, how do you how do you think about those? Yeah, I think like always, it's this balance of like there's always a balance of like all your interests. Like, which ones do you pick? And I thought like 
you know, I'm, I'm only like two years out of school. Like I can always go back to science. Um, I can go back and get a lab job and get back to learning the science that I have like missed out on the, in the past few years or something like that. Um, but I was also like my biggest asset right now, like as a 24 year old, what is my biggest asset? And I was like, time is my biggest asset. Let's say I do this for two years. It doesn't work out. I can come back. I will be 26 and I will still be very young and I can still do a lot of things. Um, I also talked to a lot of people who are like, you know, they're like 30, 40 and they're like, wow, you're so young. You're only 24. And I was like, okay, so if I'm 24, if I do this for two years, it'll probably be like enough time for me to like know if it's going to work for me or not. And then if it doesn't work, I will just like come back and like, I will still have time to figure out something else, which is like, was like the cushion, you know, and I'm still figuring this out. Like I haven't like worked out every detail, you know, every day I'm still like, oh man, how can I do this? Like long-term or what's like my strategy for like the next month to like make money or like gain more like attention so that someone will like help me pay for these this trip or like help me like finance this somehow like where am I going to find the resources to do that I haven't like figured it all out which kind of comes back to my point of like everyone is just figuring it out um Mm -hmm. but I think I needed that cushion you know that thought of like okay what's my backup plan if this doesn't work how much time am I going to allow myself to figure out and make it work until I decide to like come back and do something else And for me, it was like I needed to save up enough money to travel for between one and two years to see if this would work out for me. So if you ask people ask me, you know, on the road, like, how do you have money for this? Like Mm -hmm. the short answer or in the video comments or they'll message my page. The short answer is I worked for two years. I saved up money and then I'm using a lot of like savings as well as I pick up side gigs. and then people will like also sponsor me to do whatever, whatever, or they will like give me like free stays at hotels. But it was like I needed enough cushion for me to have that like leap of faith that was like, okay, it's it's like basically at the end of the day, I needed to know that I wasn't going to end up homeless living under a bridge. Right. And that yeah. was like, I think like for yeah. a lot of people, we are far from that. Like if you are yeah. watching and, and I'm that, that not such a bad state, I, I guess, depending on what kind of bridge it is. Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That's like, right. like far away. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, but basically I needed that cushion. Yeah. So I like worked enough that I felt comfortable taking that leap of faith. Uh, now that's, you, you said some really interesting things there. Uh, kind of the last bit there. And I want to highlight it. You said, um, how you prepared for doing this. So some practical things you did is you saved up, uh, for about two years, right? For about, or is that right? Yes. That saved up for about two years. Um, so you had some money saved up. You went out uh, traveling. In addition to the savings, you um, you kind of did some swap services, whatever. You do something, and maybe somebody gives you a free hotel room or something like that. Yeah. You know, and uh, um, and you uh, maybe got some sponsorships or things like that. So uh, for those people who are thinking about taking that same leap, um. I mean, how, how much do you think they need to save? How much do you think they need to have in the bank before they buy that ticket and they make this, you know, big jump? 
if you want to travel for one year around the world to be like safe and comfortable, I think you need, if you made, assuming you made absolutely no money in the time to be like safe and comfortable, I would say if you're a solo traveler and you're not like living in five star resorts, you will need yeah. at least $20,000 to travel for one year. And that would like pay for all your food, all your plane tickets. And like, you would probably not have to worry about running out of money. 20,000. Okay. So 20,000, that's assuming you're not going to get any additional income. And that's kind of like, you know, really the bare necessity of kind of your needs being met along the yes, way. I would say for most people, like if you're wise with your money, 20,000 is like a simple, like easy number between like 20 to 30, but 20, like would be like what I would say, like if you, if, if you ask me right now. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Okay, very cool. Oh, dude, uh, dang, this this has been so great. I have so many more questions I'd love to ask, but uh, I, I don't want to take any more time from um, our audience members. They have been just uh, so engaged. They've got a lot of good questions here. So uh, again, one more time uh, to you watching right now. Uh, I don't know where you are, um, but uh, if you have a question for Nang uh, about anything we talked about, about Harvard, about his time uh, in between Harvard, you know, working for several years at Monterey or Seattle, or whatever, or his time uh, overseas traveling, um, video production, or decisions he made. Any question you have for Nang, please leave them in the comments. We'll try to get to them. And uh, we're going to transition now into uh, kind of our audience Q&A. So let me just browse through here. We've got so many good questions. So let me kind of go to the very beginning and see if there's anything, um, anything here that we can kind of uh, start with here. So, okay. Um, all right. So here, here's a good one. Um, I'm, I can't pronounce all this, but I'm just gonna say Caroline, uh, Caroline Tao asks, where are you going to next? So where are you going next, Nang? I think I'm either going to go to the Philippines or Indonesia. Um, Ooh, all right. Like my immediate next, next, uh, Ooh. destination. Um, and for those who don't know right now, you are currently in the States um yes uh, you're currently in the states and then you're so right after your time here in the states you're gonna sounds like philippines or indonesia yes right now i'm in wisconsin i'll probably be in the midwest for the next month i'm gonna be here for my brother's graduation my littlest brother from high school so i'll leave mid-june probably and then i will be out of the country for three months Woo. um all right, let's see here. Uh, what else we got? Two uh, scrolling down. Okay, so um, okay, here's here's a here's here's a here's a one from earlier on about your uh, kind of Harvard and college experience. Uh, Brian Xiong asks, Nang, what do you believe is the best college experience a student can have or should experience? Um, for Brian, it was his dorm life experience and going to school away from home yeah so what do you believe is the best college experience for a student i think what brian is trying to get at is like get out of your comfort zone like try something really weird that no one's tried before and like a lot of times if you're i mean like first generation it's like hard to like go away from home or like your parents are still holding on to that you know especially the Hmong community sometimes it's hard to like go out of state um both Financially speaking, definitely as well. But if you can find a way to do it, like going out of your comfort zone, um, there are ways to do it. It's really hard, definitely. But, you know, living away from home, 
making new friends that are completely different from you is just like, yeah, it will teach you so much. I think I've gotten so many opportunities in life because I knew the right person. I think going to Harvard for me is not really like even what I learned was awesome, but like the amount of people I met who were just like so motivated or had like these ridiculous, crazy ideas was just like what is most valuable to me. And so living in the dorms, yes, but just like getting to know people who are completely different than you, like completely different than you. So yeah, get out of your comfort zone. I really like what Brian is getting to there. That's great. I, I love it. I really, I'm, I'm a big fan of getting out of your comfort zone. I love it so much. All right. Uh, Johnson Yang asks, how did you come about Nang Now? So I, I, I guess we'll, Nang Now, how did, how did you get that name? Uh, it rhymes with Nang Tao. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think because I have so much interest, right? And I wanted to like, I wanted to pick something that was like, at first I was like, what is a name that would like say completely what I'm interested in? And I had a really hard time coming up with it because I have so much things that I'm like passionate about, whether that be like art or science or sailing. So I wanted to put it like name now because I was like, if I do this every day, I want you to like know where I am or what I'm interested in at that, that day. And Nang now just happened to be an alliteration. It kind of rhymes my last name, Tao, or at least how you pronounce it in English. And then I would just like, now is like, it wasn't like Nang food because I don't want to focus on food every day or Nang yeah. boats because I don't want to focus on boats every day. So yeah, great question. That's awesome. Um, my ask, kind of going back to when we're talking about uh, your languages, um, do you naturally count in Hmong or English? Ooh, that's a great question. I think mostly um, I count mostly in English. Um, yeah, I probably count mostly in English, mostly because I'm doing it in a science setting in the past, at least. Now I haven't counted really in a long time, but <laughs> mostly in English in the past for sure. Here's another question from Kabao Lee. She asks, have you met many Hmong people in the countries you've been to? Um, and if, if so, which countries? I haven't met any Hmong people in Latin America on my travels. Um, um, I know there's a Hmong community in Argentina, and there's also one in French Guyana. I, I'm saying, saying that completely wrong because it's French, so I can't say that word. <laughs> but um, those are like the two big communities in um, like South America that I know. I haven't been to either one, but on the road, I have not met any Hmong people. Wow. But that's cool. I didn't, I didn't even think there were Hmong communities out there that that's that's kind of quite a shock um jay lina lina asks what are your parents view of everything you're doing that's a good question i think um now they they question me less um when i was first traveling when i was like younger they questioned me more um you know my dad would yeah, his Hmong parents are always like, yeah. or something like that, right? So, um, but I think everything's changing, right? I just have to kind of, it's so much to argue or like to defend your thing. And it's always one thing to do that, but sometimes it just takes longer to show them that it will work. So we'll see what happens. That is, um, that's, that's so funny. Uh, okay, let's see here. Um... Okay, so I can't. I sorry, I can't pronounce this name. Lee, uh, are you able to see these questions, Dang? Yes. I, do you know how to pronounce that? Lisa. Lisa. There you go. I think she's the Lisa and Mung. Lisa. Yeah. 
Uh, she asks, are you thinking about writing more children books? And and this is actually a good place for me to, to um, pause for a bit. I mean, as you answer this question, just tell us about that first book you wrote that um, you crowdfunded for this book. You got to publish. What, what was the first book you wrote? And then and what, are you going to write any more books? Yeah, George's Telescope uh, basically explains the big bang for uh, preschoolers, uh, women protagonists, so women in science, all that good stuff too. a uh, diverse character cast. Uh, so science and people, two things that I love. I have a lot of ideas all the time about writing children's book because um, I'm, you know, the oldest of however many cousins, oldest of six siblings. So like, yeah, I love, I want to write more children's book. Um, I have all these like science ideas for writing children's books. Um, the short answer is I'm not sure. I would like to though. So yes and no. <laughs> Now, I, I do want to uh, tell our audience that uh, Nang is doing something really cool. You've got about, what, 100 of Georgia Telescope books that yes. you're giving away. Um, so if you want one of them, he's going to send it to you for free, which is incredibly generous. Uh, and if you just go to his Facebook page, Nang Now, just type in Nang Now. Uh, it's a video um, that he's pinned to the top. You'll, you'll be able to see the cool video he made about it and information about it. So if you want one of his books, which is um, going by quick. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming how many people have reached out to you so far or signed up? Honestly, I haven't even checked. I've been so busy. I haven't even checked how many people. It's probably more than 100 by now. You're going to have to reprint these books, I'm sure. Um, so go head over to Nang now, and then you can find out more about how to get a free book from him. All right, let's keep going here. Uh, uh, okay. See, well, Lisa asked another one, but let me, if there's no one else here, I'll get back to her. Uh, um, okay, let, let's, let's see, ask this question. We kind of answered it, but she's added a little bit more to it. C. Vang asked, what's next for you? What's next for you and your two-year plan? So, so we, we, we know that you're planning to go to the Philippines or Indonesia next, but, but two years from now, uh, 2020, what's, what's the plan? That's a good question. I haven't even thought that far. I'll tell you that for the next year, I will be in Southeast Asia. So I want to go to Laos and Thailand, maybe Vietnam, um, visit some Hmong people there. I will be back in the States for HCON in August. And then after that, Ooh, I will probably yeah. go to Africa. And then I will come back for like, maybe like the Hmong New Year in California. And then after that, I have no idea. I honestly have no idea. <laughs> That that is exciting. We can't wait to see that happen. Um, okay, Jur Xiong asks, uh, "What side gigs have you done so far while traveling?" Great question. Um, I've designed a few things. Um, so like someone saw my logo, they really liked it, so they paid me to make a logo for them. Um, I do videos every here and there. Um, so that sometimes that's like four different organizations um different businesses sometimes i will go to a hostel and they will see me editing videos and then they will need something short just like um in peru i did a a drone shot for a hostel that was like a 30 second drone shot they gave me two nights for free i did wow. like walking through the hostel with a gopro it was like a four minute walk through the hostel they gave me two nights for free um i picked up a translation gig um, between Spanish and English, um, which is funny because it was really actually only in one way. So I would translate Spanish into English, but not the other way, which is good because I don't think I would translate the best from Spanish to English, which is one of the shortcomings of not being a native speaker. But yeah, those um, basically videos, translation, design. That's, That's so cool. 
Um, here's a question, a question from Shane Her. Yes. As someone who has attended uh, has attended Harvard and attained a higher education. Do you believe that a higher education means someone is more successful or do you believe a person's level of success does not matter based on their education or type of work? I think success means how happy and satisfied you are with your life. And you can define that however you want to define it as right. Um, I think success in the classic sense. So in that sense, no, like success, if you're happy, no matter what you're doing, if you're satisfied and happy with your life, you are super successful. So your education does not matter at all in that sense. I think you can also define success as like classically, like has this person like reached whatever level of arbitrary thing that you need to reach. I don't even know what those are anymore, <laughs> depending on where you are. But I think, um, is it, easier to reach success in like getting a job getting paid well that type of thing if you get a higher education i think like objectively yes and the numbers just support that but of course there are like you don't have to go to school to be successful you know like if you're motivated enough and you like prove yourself you don't need to go to school or do anything to like be successful besides just like be yourself like whatever you do like be really good and dedicate your heart to that you don't need school will it help probably but there's also like the whole thing of like debt and like nowadays like can you pay off that debt and can you actually find a job but this so yes and no <laughs> yeah that's you can have a whole debate about this right it's like yeah. a fascinating topic nowadays too um I, now you are welcome to uh, punt this question or not. I, I just want to, I yeah. think it's a little fun here. Uh, Shang actually asked something else that I think uh, you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but she says, describe your ideal girl. That's a hilarious question. Um, I think uh, someone who pushes me, right? I've dated several people in the past and like, I think it's a, a healthy, real. I think how I define like, being liking or whatever word you want to use and love liking obsessed with someone is like you are obsessed with the idea of how they are and not the idea that you create them to be so i think i just want someone who i love them for them who like is always pushing me because i understand i'm like such a bad boyfriend because <laughs> i'm always like working on these random things like videos or like these children's books and I feel like feel bad half the time because I'm not like paying attention to my loved ones enough. So maybe I just need someone who like grounds me at the same time as like pushes me, but I don't even know if that's possible. So <laughs> I'm still figuring that one out too. You know, that's a good question. I should are you, that. are you someone's boyfriend right now? Do, do no. you have, Okay. All right. I just After wanted the to real questions. <laughs> all right. It's, it's, it's a, uh, public now. So people can, uh, all right. Anyways. Okay. Well, let's, let's move on here. Um, uh, okay. My asks, how do you deal with family obligation and doing what you love? Depends on what you mean by family obligations. Um, I don't have any like kids or anything or I'm not married. So I'm like very privileged right now in that sense. Um, I came back to Wisconsin actually because my grandma passed away. Um, 
So when emergencies happen, um, I think I plan it in my budget that I will always be able to come back for things like that. Um, but I'm also used to balancing that being away from college. So in terms of like calling or like talking to my siblings or parents enough, um, nothing replaces being in person. But I think having been away four years for college, um, I've learned kind of like to balance that communication as well as coming back home. And for everyone, that's just different how you do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, here's here's a here's a cool question. Shang asks, "Would you ever attempt to teach or write science based science based books in Hmong uh, in order to help bridge science to the Hmong community?" Um, I would. I think that the tricky part with that, yes, is a short answer. The tricky part is a lot a lot of science words don't exist in Hmong, so you have to like explain them like all the way to like the like really basics, like beginning of like what like you say like whatever, like regeneration, right? Or stem cells, something like that. You would have to explain word for word what each of those are in Hmong, which is also sometimes really tricky. Um I would, but you would have to invent a lot of words as well and sometimes when you like invent words it's like hard for people other people who speak the language to agree with that word um sometimes people like already don't agree with my translations in spanish <laughs> or english so it yes though i think like it's important and if you do it you will be like the one to pave the way which is like super exciting yeah that that that, that is uh yeah that's tricky i i these technical words right i mean uh, yeah that's, that'll be tough that's the only tricky part but yeah definitely yeah. Um, okay, here's here's a cool question. Amicia Yang asks, will you be signing the books that you're sending out before shipping? That's a good question. I haven't decided yet for the 100 books because it will like it will take some time commitment. Maybe if I'm nice. <laughs> right. <laughs> Probably. Um, okay, uh, let's see here. Okay, here's a here's a great one. Brian. Ooh, I think this is yeah, this is the same Brian of former HCon speaker of ours as well, uh, who, who has also traveled. I don't know if you know Brian Nang, um, but uh, uh, you should connect with him. He, he's, he's great. Yeah, so no, Brian, Brian, asks, Brian, you have a great Instagram. Teach yeah, there you go. <laughs> Brian asks, what is your favorite book, favorite author, and what advice do you have for recent college grad? Um, thank you for the great comments and questions. Uh, my favorite book is Rocket Boys by Ho Homer Hickam Jr. Um, it was based... October Sky, the movie, was based on it. Uh, I think it's just a very inspirational story. It also takes place during the space race. Um, so he's like, that's like my favorite book of all time. Um, my favorite author, my default answer, like as a kid, was Jean Craighead George. And she writes a lot about nature stories. And I like really like nature and animals. That's why like where the bio stuff comes from. But that was like my default answer as like, a, a young kid now i have like a ton of different authors that i love um recent college grad advice um i think explore i think when i even like well throughout college i thought like you major in bio you have to be a biologist you major in physics you have to be a physicist but right. i found myself like teaching physics teaching computer science like teaching in general and then like working in the lab like now i'm like doing some sort of visual arts and all this stuff um translation stuff so it's like the world is like more broad than it's ever been like ever like we have more opportunities than like 
our parents would have imagined or anybody's parents would have imagined 20 years ago, which is like, yeah. so explore those. Great. I love it. I love that, that advice. Um, okay. This is a great question. Uh, I think people want to know this. Kang Vang asks, do you have a Patreon page or some other way where one can donate and support your travels in appreciation of you putting great content out for your viewers? So how can we give you our money? Thank you so much. Hey. That means so much to me. Um, I think right now I'm building a personal brand that like, you know, asking for not asking, I don't want to use that word, but like have asking for money that way is, you know, it's, it's, it's a really tricky, like, how do you like ask and give at the same time? And right now I'm still trying to like balance the act of asking and giving in a way that's like beneficial for me as well as anyone who like watches all the friends that watch my stuff and everyone who likes my stuff. So I'm still, I don't have a Patreon page right now is the short answer. Um, I'm still figuring out how to have, cause I know people really like contributing. You know, I really like contributing to things I love as well. I just don't want it to come off as like, I'm asking people for money and I don't want people to like feel guilty if they don't give money because I know like not everyone has resources. So it's like this tricky, like push and pull. And I know like Patreon, people who have Patreons, they, they don't want it to come off that way. I know it doesn't come off that way in general, but I just like am hesitant right now to put that out there. But um, that is a wonderful idea. I think about that all the time though. <laughs> well, you know that you've got people here just, with their wallets open yes that means so much to me i like i super appreciate that so much um we did have some questions people uh um wrote in before uh we actually started uh, and i do want to uh, give them a chance to have their question answered as well so i had posted earlier and um there's a few here uh that i'd like to ask um okay here here's kind of a here here's a big one here uh a uh, bow lore um she had posted this earlier in a post i um uh, sent out uh she asks what kind of legacy would you want to leave behind for our Hmong youth <laughs> that's a hard question i think just do something that's like no one's ever done before we're living in this like age where you can go out there and be adventurous and fail and then fail better and then don't fail and fail a lot more and that's like okay i think like especially like largely speaking you know our cultural in general not just the monk culture but culture in general in the world failure is like bad and i just like want to say like fail like this might not ning now might not even work out for me who knows like yeah. maybe i like run out of money in a year and i have to like yeah. stop you know hopefully not but like hopefully like i just want to like be vulnerable out there too and just like tell people like that's okay and like go out there and take risks yeah Do something i love it before. <laughs> i really love that i, I i'm 100 percent behind that i i think that's extremely important to take risk and to um yeah embrace Failure. Um, he, uh, he, here's another question from earlier on. Someone had asked, and it, it, here's another. It's a real practical one here. Um, I'll show it here on the screen. It's uh, they asked, uh, or she asked, what are a few key travel advice or tips? Um, 
get a credit card and use it wisely and then you can accumulate points a lot of the things i do is like done on points um which is fantastic they're basically free um so start getting credit be really really wise please don't like be irresponsible with credit <laughs> um that can be very dangerous too um but get a credit card i have 15 credit cards i use them well i don't have any debt I travel a lot on points. Um, I bought my drone on points. I bought a lot of my camera stuff on points. So that's like my first thing. Like learn about a little bit about that. Even if you don't do it, I don't do it 24 seven. I kind of suck at it. Some people are really good at it. Learn about that a little bit to see if it's like your thing. Um, depending on what you want to do. I stay in hostels, so I save a lot of money. Um, hostels have private rooms as well. So if you're more like, if you want privacy, you can get like a, host a room in a hostel for like 30 bucks first at an expensive end or like I got a private room for like $12 in Bolivia. Um, so stay in hostels. You don't have to like stay in luxurious hotels. I mean, if you want to, there's no problem with that. Um, I don't know, meet people, make friends. Like people want to meet you. I've met people who just like invited me to their house. And then like, I just like, they just let me stay there and I like save a lot of money. Um, and then they're like lifelong friends. We still talk. And I say this because I met them like three years ago when I was doing like abroad stuff and like, we're still friends. So yeah, meet people, be adventurous, like go out of your comfort zone, whether that's staying in a hostel or like eating weird food and then mm -hmm. financially be wise. That is uh really, really great tips here. Um, oh my, uh, all right. We, we, we are, we are almost out of time here. Actually, I actually went a little bit over. I normally do, you know, for, for our show, but, um, I, I could keep on going, but I know there are so many questions. I know people, um, are, are tuning in and they really want to hear. And, uh, this is, uh, been a great, great show name, dude. This has been just so fun, so educational, so challenging, um, and I just can't wait to meet you in person. And so I, I want to selfishly, I'm going to make this plug for everyone watching right now. If you want to meet Nang in person, um, you feel free to, you know, you can either try to arrange that on your own or, or you can go to HCON. HCON 2018 is going to be happening, um, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 16th, 18th. Um, uh, just go over to momentum.com. Uh, you'll see it right at the bottom of the uh, uh, screen here. Just go to momentum.com, join our email list uh, so that I can keep you updated uh, uh, with more details about HCON. But Nang is going to be one of just many awesome speakers. And so if you want to meet him in person, if you want to hear him uh, share more um, and, and just to really connect with him, uh, please, please go to momentum.com, join our email list so that we can uh, keep you updated. And so that's um, this August 1618 in Minnesota, uh, Nang Tao will be there. And so, uh, Nang, before I let you go, uh, this has been just so fun. Uh, I want to give you a chance to speak directly to the viewers right now, um, to those watching. And uh, do, do you just have any kind of last words uh, of, of wisdom or a charge or a challenge or a question, or what, what do you want to say directly to the viewers right now? We've got about over 60 people watching simultaneously live. What do you want to say to these people? Um, first of all, yeah, if, if we didn't get a chance, feel free to like message me on my page. I'm like usually very good at messaging people back. Um, so anything, um, 
I think I don't have everything figured out either. Um, some days I feel like I'm on top of the world. Some days I feel like, what have I done? Like, I'm so silly. Why did I even do this thing? So I think a lot of people message me and they like think I have everything figured it out, um, which is not true at all. And the reason why that's important to note is because I'm just like a regular person. I don't have everything figured out. Um, I'm the same exact, I'm in the same exact boat as you, if you like are thinking the same thing of like, I'll never be able to do this. Like, that's, that's not true. Like I am just as clueless as anybody else in this world. Like no one has everything figured it out. It's like totally okay if you don't have everything figured out and we're all just like working towards that. Um, if you have any questions, just like feel free to message me. I'm usually like very open about like, you know, like all those numbers as well since people like really love those numbers um yeah. because at the end of the day i don't think they matter that much so i will just like tell you all the numbers whether that's like test scores or like money or like how do you do this financially um oh something that i thought about earlier uh which we didn't touch we talked about this early in the day jonathan but harvard like how did i pay for harvard uh yeah yeah if you go to harvard they the only financial aid that Harvard gives is need based financial aid. So you don't get money for good grades. You can have straight A's, but if you if you if you don't need money, they won't give you money. Harvard just gives you money depending on what you your family needs. So I really didn't pay to go to college. Um, Harvard it's cheaper to go to the Ivy leagues on average than it is to go to a state school because the financial aid packages are great. So I know like there are a lot of people asking questions about that, especially parents. Don't worry about that. I wish more people knew that, like that if you can get in, it's like easy to pay for it. Um, right. But yeah. Ask me any numbers. Um, message me. I'm just like a normal person. I want to talk to you. So <laughs> let's be friends. That is great. Great stuff, man. Um, again, uh, I want to thank, uh, thank all of you viewers for watching, asking your questions, for tuning in to, to H Talks and uh, just being engaged with us. And I want to thank you, Ning, uh, for coming on to the show, uh, for sharing um, your story, your tips, uh, just, just everything. I know we couldn't get through all the things we want to talk about, and we will have plenty more opportunities. But Nang, thank you so much. This has been uh, a great, great uh, episode so far. Thank you. I will try to like go on, go through the comments of this video too and see if I can answer anything. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, there, there's definitely a lot that I didn't uh, didn't have time to answer. So Fantastic. So you'll uh, you'll have your work cut out for you. Um, all right. Well, thank you again, everyone. Uh, tune in um, next week for another episode of Age Talks, and I'll be um, sharing our guest uh, hopefully soon. So uh, again, thank you, Nang, and thanks everyone. Have a great day. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>